welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is the Solar Insights Podcast, and I got Ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated on here. How are you doing, Ben? I'm really good, Eric. How's it going? It's going pretty great. Uh, the, it's kind of warming up here in Phoenix. We finally kind of feel like we broke out of winter already, which is kind of amazing since it's barely February. Um, I bet you're the same in L.A. there, kind of not too cold anymore. But uh, yeah, it, it's been good. I mean, it's kind of been hazy. I don't know what's going on with that. Apparently, it's been a pretty rainy weather for us, but uh, uh, it's been good. It means lots of basketball to watch. Yes, there is some interesting basketball takes. We'll, we'll leave uh, the Charles Oakley and the Knicks alone, the Knicks and all their dysfunction, as well as the Kings. They should have their own little league of dysfunction. Um, but let's talk some Sun stuff to start out with. What have you heard about Devin, Devin Booker, the Suns of General, Watson, Bender, just kind of a general feeling, and then we'll get to some specifics. Yeah, I mean, I think that in general the Suns have kind of been under the radar in terms of, like, the most dysfunctional teams uh, in the NBA. Uh, you know, everybody always talks about Minnesota and Sacramento as the two teams that have missed the playoffs for, like, the longest, but, you know, it's been a long, dry run for the Suns. Uh, and... You know, another thing that I've noticed is with their their GM Ryan McDonough. I mean, he came in and was pretty fan friendly. Got some pretty you know good PR interviews early on. Uh, he's been on the job for a long time, and they really have not showed much progress at all. And uh, when I look at his moves, you know, the, the line I always hear people say to defend him is like, "Wow, he's really up to stuff." Uh, but there doesn't seem like there's a real strong plan in terms of what he's doing. He's constantly changing course. His biggest moves haven't really aligned with each other. Uh, and for whatever reason, he tends to just not get very much criticism for, for what he's done. And, uh, you know, I look at their record. I mean, with the number of veterans he's tried to pay, with the number of moves he's tried to make, uh, with the, the talent that's available, how are they as bad as the Lakers? I mean, we knew the Lakers were going to be terrible, and a lot of their young guys aren't panning out. But I'm not sure there's really an explanation for how poor they've been this season. Um and what really stands out to me is just the diversity of his mistakes. I mean, paying Tyson Chandler uh, when he was about to fall off the cliff age-wise, that was an obviously dumb move. Alex Len, wasted draft pick. Uh, chasing LaMarcus Aldridge and, and making the Markeith, uh, or, sorry, the Marcus Morris trade to, to anger Markeith, uh in pursuit of LaMarcus Aldridge seemed like it was a terrible idea from the start. Not firing Jeff Hornacek once the season started to fall apart and waiting and dragging it out. Yeah. Another management mistake. Uh, just go right down the list of, of kind of the mistakes they've made. And, you know, Devin Booker, clearly a very promising player. You know, great value where they got him. But that could wind up being sort of a career-saving move uh, for a guy like McDonough. But besides that, uh, you know, he's already four years in, basically, to his tenure. And their current pitch is, well, you know, we're probably two or three years away with guys like Chris and, and Booker and, uh, you know, a dragon bender being a really promising young core. Well, it's been an awful long time that they've been bad for them to only have that as their best pitch to fans. And so for any Suns fans who have stuck around through all that, I mean, more power to them. Uh, but I think in general, there's kind of two teams that don't really get enough criticism uh, for their recent moves. And I think it's Phoenix and Orlando oh, yeah. for, for Orlando. kind of similar reasons. Atlanta, for sure. That, you're, that was, I mean, that is surprising to me that you're, you're kind of take on it. Um, just, just because uh, I am kind of Team McDonough in a, in a sense. Um, but I'll, I mean, we can go into the whole thing. But I'll just say that I think it's more of a the cupboard is actually full with assets and actual players now. 
when he kind of took over and stuff, it was like, um, let's try to think here, Hakeem Warwick and, like, Hito Turkoglu, the rotting husk of Hito Turkoglu. Um, and these were people that he paid, that, that the prior regime had paid just money to come play, and it was falling apart. Uh, I always think that the Dragic-Thomas thing was more out of his hand than possible to really, he kind of did what he could with it. Although, as as of... Been uh, he made, like, one of the worst trades of the decade in, in trading Thomas away. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Like, that was one of the worst deals anybody's seen. And look at Thomas take off as soon as he leaves. And, I mean, how do you defend a Brandon Knight signing? Oh, I, okay, I agree. I agree on some of many of these things. I mean, I don't... I am the... Like I was about to say, kind of... I'm, like, the least proponent of Brandon Knight. Like, he drives me freaking crazy when I watch him. Uh, like I say, he's a great... He's a decent player, but... Every mis- it feels like every mistake just continues to pile up every time. It's always a bad decision, always whatever. To me, the Thomas thing is you have three ball handlers, and I think all of them are decent on by themselves, but put them together and they're not good. So it just didn't the three point guard thing didn't work out. I guess that I was just, his that was his plan too, right? Oh yeah, maybe yeah. Uh, that's possible too. But th- I guess in that sense, you don't know until you try it. But that may have seemed doomed from the start. Yeah. That was definitely doomed from the start. I mean, there was no way, like, just given the personality of the guys involved and where they were at in their careers, I mean, they all viewed themselves as sort of overlooked and guys who could do more than they were mm-hmm. capable of. And what you saw is that, you know, Dragic and Thomas, once they left, they both did a lot more. I mean, I'm not the biggest Dragic fan in the world. Yeah. Uh, I would have chosen Bledsoe over Dragic, but yeah, to just give away Isaiah on a great deal that they had originally signed up to. I mean, I actually think that the Isaiah contract was probably McDonough's best move. That was great. But he undid it immediately. Yeah, uh, so I think my question to you, I guess, then is, would Thomas be looked as as good without those other guards to defend around him? I mean, if Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder aren't in in Boston, is Thomas just like, I don't think he's seen as, as good as he has shown he is. I, I actually agree with that. I mean, I think he doesn't get nearly enough flack for his defense. you got to have the pieces around him. Uh, but when you're looking at the modern guard, I mean, he is sort of like James Harden light on offense. Mm-hmm. He can shoot the three-pointer. He can run the pick and roll. Good instincts. He can get all the way to the rim even though he's small. He finishes pretty well around the basket, and he gets to the free-throw line. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are all the things that you want a lead ball handler to do. And if you go down the list with Bledsoe, uh, if he's the main guy for your offense, how many of those things does Bledsoe do? I mean, not the full list, that's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, again, when you're trying to talk about asset piles, this, that, and the other thing, the best asset they had was Isaiah Thomas on that contract. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and he just gave him away. That was kind of uh, it was kind of forced by Dragic's hand two days before the deadline, but... Uh... Yeah, you're right. It wasn't. I mean, McDonough has done. It's been murky. I think is the best uh, word. To I mean, it. I understand the idea that like, okay, we didn't see all this stuff coming, but I don't think you can blame all of that on Dragic because first of all, it was McDonough's plan. Yeah. You wanted to put the three of them together. Second of all, once it started to blow up, they didn't have a good enough culture, a good enough management communication with those key players to kind of keep people happy. He, he mm-hmm. waited and waited. Finally, trades them. And then he makes the panic trade, and he's admitted that he screwed up the Isaiah oh, Thomas yeah, trade. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I think he has to yeah. own that one. And I think if Phoenix was in a market or was as talked about on the national stage as some of these other teams are, whether uh, it's the Lakers with their dysfunction, the Knicks with their dysfunction, or the Bulls, or even the Kings where people are just always talking about them, the Isaiah Thomas trade would be a repeated point of national interest. Yeah. And... Uh, 
you know, I just don't see that around, and a lot of other people pointing out how bad that move was. I agree. So, what are your, what was your what are your thoughts then on the? Uh, obviously, they could have done more interviews, but on the Watson hire to make the culture actually like less dysfunctional, hopefully. Well, I think the Watson hire was sort of a, uh, a response to them admitting that they backed themselves into a corner and they were going to be young and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you go cheap with a coach like that, uh, you get a first-timer. Uh, he's got a great reputation. You know, players love him, good head on his shoulders. Uh, but it's like the Jock Vaughn move in Orlando. It's the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. if you know you're going to be bad, you don't want to spend a ton on a coach, you don't want to pay for a coach that is experienced, more experienced than his roster. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they looked at it like it was going to be a motivational job, uh, you know, building around Booker uh, and not necessarily trying to go all out for wins because that wasn't going to be realistic. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, you give him a shot. Uh, that happens around the league. You know, first-time coaches, uh, to me, are pretty interchangeable. Uh, I don't think he's overperformed. You know, I'm not going to blame, you know, a lot of their struggles this season necessarily on him. I mean, to me, it's the roster's not ready to go. I think he's done a pretty good job of balancing their younger pieces, making sure that those guys have roles, especially Chris. Uh, I mean, that's probably a situation where playing Chris the minutes that he's playing is, you know, working against their win total. Uh, but it's a, it's bigger than just this season, right? And you're, you're yes. trying to make sure he gets as much t- time and, and opportunities as he can uh, handle. Uh, so I give him credit for that. You know, Booker's shown good progress in year two, uh, and so that, that goes to the coach as well a little bit. Uh, but I think he was basically dealt a losing hand. Like, I don't know what the best-case scenario for the Suns was this year. Uh, I, I would expect it would have been a little bit better than how they've played, uh, but I don't think significantly better uh, based on you know, the collection of pieces that he has at his disposal. Well, I think, I mean, I think they're kind of ahead of their uh, over-under for the season, but ahead of pace or on pace. But, uh, yeah, so I I mean, I kind of get it. But they're also the worst team in the West. Uh, I mean, did you, ex- did the, you expect that? They're around there. What? Did you expect them to be the worst team in the Western Conference? Um, around, I mean, around there. I thought that the Lakers would be worse, and they still might end up being worse. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, they're playing basically five teenagers. So, I mean, Bender's out now with the, with his ankle for four to six weeks, but uh, and Ulysses doesn't play a ton. But uh, I mean, Booker and Chris and I mean, I mean, all their players. If you look at the roster, all but. Tucker, Chandler, Dudley, who barely plays, and Barbosa. Okay, so are you uh, telling me that they're a success because they're ahead of their over-under, or are you just saying that they're about as bad as people expect? Yeah, they're about as bad because you don't expect with that youth to actually be able to... I mean, you see so many rookie mistakes and stuff. It's kind of amazing. Um... So yeah, it's kind of this optimism because of that. I don't see as much dysfunction as you guys you do, but uh, so how do you explain the Markeith Morris drama? I mean, that's pure dysfunction that's caused by management. I mean, how do you explain that hmm. one? Well, what's, I don't, what's McDonough's side of that? I, uh, McDonough's side of that, I mm, I kind of I was against Markeith so much. I saw a lot of stuff because I was basically started. I feel like I started covering sports right when he was there to to now. So I saw the whole kind of gambit of that up close. Um, and so he just they saw it too, and they let it fester. I, I mean, think it was that's at, management's job. Right? At the time, they couldn't afford to be as tough as they used to be on talent because he was the cupboard was bare. So I think I think yeah. it's they probably had wishes or whatever, but he was pretty much like the most talented person, especially before they got Bledsoe that they had. So they didn't really have any choice at the time, but they kind of leaned into it, doubled down when you really shouldn't have doubled down. 
um, with the, the twins and really kind of trying to make them happy. It's like he is kind of a screw up in his own right. We'll see what happens. He's kind of thriving in, um, in Washington. But that's when he when you're winning, it's easier to do that. So, yeah, I mean, Adeno has done his problems. I just find that his trades, other than the Isaiah Thomas one, he can, I mean, he pulled out a first rounder for Morris, who is basically doing bad on purpose for the whole first, before he got traded that season, so. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a fine trade value, given that they had sunk his value so far down into the ground, but I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, if you're trying to win games, and you have a functional Marquise Morris, I think he's worth more than a, you know, a mid-first-round mid pick, uh, you know, in a better organization, and so to me, again, it goes back to just the overall dysfunction from the owner on down. You know, I mean, people just want to get out of there. You know, we had a piece on Isaiah this week in the, in the magazine that was, you know, talking about his response to getting traded to Boston. And, and uh, the original Isaiah Thomas told him, well, welcome to a real organization now. Mm-hmm. And after starting your career with the, the Kings mm-hmm. and the Suns, yeah. and I think that's a real feeling that guys have. Mm-hmm. And I think that feeling is still there. Uh, with this current group, I mean, as even if you want to be as optimistic as possible on, you know, guys like Booker, who definitely still has his own flaws, but he's making progress, uh, and, and even the younger guys as well. Uh, you know, we saw in free agency uh, the last couple of years. I mean, the only guys they can get to go there are sort of sons, uh, lifers, you know, veterans who are coming back, or guys that they have to drastically overpay, and mm. that's a tough situation to be in. Yeah, there's a whole host of things there. I, it's weird how, I mean, I was, it was surprising how you were saying that Marquis Morris had his value tanked by the Suns. When I'm, I, when I, my perspective was that he was tanking because he's, he was pissed and he uh, kind of was ruining his own value, but that's interesting. Uh, well, I'm just saying, like, if he immediately comes back to being this functional player as soon as he leaves, right, and, and part of his frustration was he felt there was promises broken by the front office. They trade his brother. He doesn't expect it. They don't ever really get around to firmly disciplining him in that final season until yeah. it's too late. I mean, they could have held him out. He had the trade demand and all that. They could have just said, you know, don't show up. But they felt, you know, kind of obligated to kind of keep him around. He's throwing a towel at the coach yeah. to keep him on the team. I mean, Ridiculous. how many signs do you need that this guy doesn't want to be there? And, and you know, they, they wound up, I think, salvaging really good value considering yeah. the circumstances, but there's it's always two sides' fault. Yeah. I mean, guys don't want to be headaches. Even a guy like Marquise Morris, who might have a quote-unquote difficult personality, doesn't want to hate his life mm-hmm. as an NBA player. Yep. And he wants to be out there winning basketball games, contributing, getting his shots, getting his touches, feeling like he's a part of something. Mm-hmm. And clearly he felt betrayed by the front office. Again, their communication has to go under the microscope in terms of why couldn't they keep him happy. Uh, and then everything that's happened since then uh, has validated his unhappiness. I mean, he goes mm-hmm. to Washington. Now he's part of one of the best starting fives uh, in the entire league. He's doing his part. Are they going to make the Eastern Conference Finals like Wizards fans hope? You know, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's moved on. No problem. And when you see that kind of a quick turnaround, especially when that was so predictable like that, uh, it's not just on the player. It's on the climate that he was put in as well. Definitely. I, I agree with a lot of that. Well, let's uh, move on to our other t- a couple of philosophical basketball topics. Um, one thing I had was, what about uh, development of a player? 
there's kind of an offense defense. Some some players are obviously an offensive person who need to work on defense to become a solid rotational player or or better, obviously. And others that are becoming defense and become offense. Do you have a if you were a GM drafting, do you have a preference on which one you would, which uh, emphasis you would have, and how do you think that players develop? That's yeah, it really de- it depends on who your best players are and what their skills are. I mean, you're certainly trying to identify your number one guy and then find guys who complement them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're seeing in the the last five years with the rise of the three pointer, especially, is that if you can find the D you could probably teach the three part of it, mm-hmm. right? Like you're seeing a lot more of these guys who are kind of coming in and uh, almost like a Wesley Matthews as an example, right? Like he's sort of like this hustle guy, uh, undrafted, but you kind of teach him and, and build him into this uh, knockdown three-point shooter, and all of a sudden he becomes this guy who's worth a max contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Another example might be a guy like Chris Middleton. Uh, you go right down the list. It's like if you have the energy, work ethic, commitment to playing defense and you can make that guy into like a 37% three-point shooter those guys are worth their weight in gold in the modern NBA mm-hmm. now you can't make an entire roster off those guys you're going to have to have a lead playmaker initiator pick and roll guy whatever but if you have to choose sort of like broken pieces uh, usually it's it's easier to start with the defensive guys and, and add that three-point shot uh, because it's you know pretty much a, a repetition based uh, skill, you know, get in the gym and shoot fifteen thousand, and hopefully you have good form, and uh, eventually, you know, everything is going to be set up for you. You're just a catch and shoot option. You don't have to do that much work, uh, and you can be very helpful. Um, you know, I think on the defensive end for young bigs, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's so difficult to learn that. Uh, there's so many things going on, and. It just gets tougher. You're, you know, the more three-point shooters there are, the more spread and more ground that young bigs have to cover, the harder it is. Um, and Philadelphia is like a great contrast there. Like you've got a guy who's a naturally gifted defender in Joel Embiid. When he's on the court, they look like they can make a playoff run. Uh, you've got a Jaleel Okafor who's a naturally gifted offensive player and can't play any defense to save his life. When he's on the court, they get run off the court, right? Yep. And I'm not convinced that you can teach Okafor to be a competent defensive player. And for that reason, you know, his ceiling goes from being this lottery pick who was you know, potentially a franchise guy, some people thought, to being a sixth man, kind of Enos Cantor type, sort of at best, right? Yeah, man. He, um, I mean, he was going to go number one. He's probably, I'm thinking, I've been re-ranking with a couple of people on the podcast. He could be the seventh best player from that draft. Yeah, I think it could get a lot worse than that, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it, it, like, for sure, right now, uh, he's well off the list. I mean, he's barely playing minutes for a lottery team You know, that needs all the help they can get because they have the worst offense in the league, and he can't even get on the court for them, and that's supposed to be what he's good at. So mm-hmm. that is a huge warning warning sign. And, um, and But, yeah, no, I, I was always Team Towns on that conversation. And I think Towns actually is another example of a guy who has a long way to go defensively in terms of being a real impact defensive player. Even though he's this unbelievable modern offensive player, he hasn't quite got there defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'll be an interesting test case because, you know, you compare him to, like, uh, Porzingis. Well, Porzingis is a lot closer to being a big impact defensive player mm-hmm. than Towns is. Um, but and, – and part of it is just genetics. You know, he's longer, uh, he's taller – 
and I think you know, he's got maybe a little bit better instincts on that end. Um, but who becomes more valuable in, in 10 years if they remain kind of how they are, where Towns is this completely gifted offensive player just trying to get by on defense. Of course, Zingas is very good on both ends uh, and getting better. I mean, which one of those is more valuable? It's going to be a, a really interesting comparison. Exactly, and the kind of the prototypical cases is the Kawhi Leonard who couldn't or who didn't shoot much in college or not. He did just uh, kind of kind of the case was broken shot, and he was a transcendent defensive player, the claw, able to do just he basically takes the ball out of people's hands and just able to do whatever he wants on the defensive end. Along with Draymond Green, who is hustle and instinct. I think the defensive instincts is harder than the offensive instincts. Although, like uh, DeRozan, even back to Kobe Bryant, like there is an offensive instinct, but the defensive instinct is rarer and harder to develop in players who have the offensive instinct. It's also harder to teach the mentality of energy during defense because it's easy the def- the energy during offense because you want to score. It's get your buckets. But defense and the pride in doing that is harder to encapsulate in a player, and it's harder to teach. So I think I agree with you that I think the defense is harder, and Kawhi and Draymond are good examples of that. I like the Wesley Matthews one as well. Yeah, and to me, and this is like another interesting conversation, you mentioned DeRozan, right? So DeRozan's a more gifted offensive player, even though I'm not his, I'm far from his biggest fan. Mm -hmm. He can do a lot of things on offense that not many guys can right mm-hmm. but he's a terrible defender yeah. and has been and kind of always will be which is why Kyle Lowry is a better player yeah there, yeah there's not really much of a conversation between the two of those guys but what's an interesting contrast is you have a guy like Norm Powell right and mm-hmm. he's very un- under discussed you know second round pick yeah. paid basically nothing there's times when I watch the Raptors with Norm Powell playing DeRozan's minutes and I think a guy who is as committed to defense as he is who can you know, shoot the ball a little bit, do a little bit on offense, but it's more of a role player on offense. They actually look better with Norman Powell than DeMar DeRozan on the court, even though the, you know, the raw numbers, the popcorn numbers that, that DeRozan puts up are going to get him on the all-star team. Uh, and it makes you just kind of question, okay, you know, where is the real value here? Now, they didn't play that great when DeRozan was out injured, and they've got, a, you know, a bunch of holes already, so they really can't afford to lose a guy. Yeah. Um, but if you do already have your lead playmaker, uh, I would tend to want to build around that guy. And in Toronto's case, it's Lowry. You know, in Houston, it's it's Harden. Um, you know, in Oklahoma City, it's Westbrook. If you already have that guy, I would tend to rather build around him with defensive-minded role players, especially guys who can shoot, um, than additional ball handlers. Mm-hmm. And a great contrast there is, is Chicago. You know, yep. they've got Jimmy, uh, who would be their lead playmaker in, in most situations. And rather than kind of building around him by trying to space with shooters and 3 and D guys. They go out and get, you know, Rondo and Wade, who are, you know, at this point of their careers, basically no defense at all, and they're not shooters. I mean, so it, it, that didn't help, it hasn't worked, and they've been super inconsistent, and they're probably not getting as much as out of Jimmy as they could. So, um, yeah, I agree with your, your thought on mentality. You know, some guys are wired to be scorers, and if that's who you are, you know, don't try to change a player away from that. And it's very hard to coach the dog that's necessary to play defense, you know, the the grinding effort. Um, but P.J. Tucker's special. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Great example. Like, P.J. Tucker's never going to do what DeRozan does with the ball in his hands. Oh, you, but if you're a playoff team, 
you can make an argument that P.J. Tucker fits better than DeRozan. Oh, know? definitely. You don't have to tell me. I am, like, yelling on Twitter when P.J. Tucker goes to ISO. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Every single me playing on the team is better than Tucker doing ISO. But, uh, I, I mean, he could hit the quarter three, but please do not dribble and try to fade away. It's just ugly. Um, although he is, like, an amazing defender. I think he's so underrated as a defender. I know people keep saying that and whatever, but I've seen him take the ball away from Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, shut people down, and they have six inches on him. And it's kind of ridiculous. But, uh... Well, he could be a trade piece for them. You know, that would be a guy I who I would so. be looking to auction because, like I said, almost any contending team could use him. Yes. Uh, if, if only for just depth and versatility. I mean, like, the only team that might not actually have a spot for him would be, like, Gold State. I think every other contender would be like, yes, we have big minutes for P.J. Tucker available right now. I mean, I've bantered around with a couple of people, and the Clippers would need, they, like, the Clippers desperately need him and can't get him. There's nothing yep. that they could trade to the Suns that would be worth it. And Tucker's for on sure. such a cheap contract. I think it's like $5 million a year. Um, for sure. Well, one thing I am hoping for, by the way, though, as we continue to get down the road of people valuing defense and understanding that sort of all-around contributions are more valuable than just pure offense, mm -hmm. is that hopefully, like, five to ten years from now, P.J. Tucker won't be making a fraction of what DeRozan yep, makes. Yep, like, yep. hopefully that will kind of converge a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, or guys in that mold where, and we've seen it with guys like Chris Middleton, you know, he's not, like, lighting the world on fire scorer, but, you know, real plus minus loves him, oh, yeah. uh, and so he gets this huge contract. I think that we're going to continue to see more and more of that, you know, especially the, the three and D wings, the guys who are pretty, you know, can guard multiple positions defensively mm -hmm. and still do a little bit on offense. I'm hoping that those guys continue to get paid so that, like, just the overall pay structure is a little bit more equitable because I feel bad for the guys like Tucker, who are big-time plus defenders, uh, who, if they're just in the wrong situation, they never really get a show it in the playoffs. They don't really get a chance to, like, have their big breakout to make a ton of money and get a lot of acclaim. Uh, and then, meanwhile, there's some guy averaging 22 points who's not doing much of anything else, and he gets to cash a max contract and go home in April. Yeah. I mean, that, that bothers me. It's kind of annoying because, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all the points-per-game crowd who don't understand the game of basketball, really. Um, I mean, th that reminds me of something. We don't need to go on it too much, but if I think if Tucker or Ch Chandler, I noticed Tucker and Chandler have been, like, locking down this defense. If they weren't there, this team would be losing by 45 points, like, every single night. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Do you think they should trade Chandler or no? Um, I am of the mind that they can, but they shouldn't just to make a move. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like, they almost they have to kind of rebuild. Yeah, I feel like last year was a tough year for his trade value. It's definitely better this year. His rebounding is off they, the charts. They just don't have a lot of other options. So, I don't know. Maybe they just have to play it out and stuck with it. And, I mean, I Len, let's just go on there for a second. I mean, Len's good. He's, he's not amazing. Um, but uh, people are saying trade Chandler, start Len. But it's like, then you have no center except for Alan Williams as your backup center. Like, that is not going to work. I mean, Bender and Chris, but neither one of them are nearly strong enough to play center at all right now. At least extended minutes. So, you're stuck with it until whatever. And then there's the... Uh, the mentorship of Chandler that people seem to not care about until it until you have no culture and nobody to mentor and then you're the Timberwolves and 
you have a talented team who is supposed to win a ton of games and can't do anything. Um, Just let me ask you this: What is Len's ceiling? I mean, do you still like, do you still believe in him as a guy who watches every game? I, because I've been out on Len for like two years. Okay, so I have lost the the upper end of the ceiling with him. I think his okay mm, comes comes off the top of your head are dangerous, especially when it's on unrecorded. Um, <laughs> Valanciunas right now is his max. Okay. Is max maybe? Um, he can shoot as long as he doesn't fade away badly. He this year I've seen a lot more energy from him, like a like a spring in his step where he's he used to finish badly around the rim. Now he's like turning over and dunking better and really getting some agility there. But until I mean, we'll, I, want, I really can't wait to see the next couple months when if they actually let Chandler not play as many minutes, they'll get run off the court more, but play Len more and see what he can do with a bigger load. Um, it'll be interesting. I think his ceiling is Valanciunas, but I don't. He's he's not a bust, but he just his ceiling is lower than what you drafted him for. Yeah, and here's my concern with that is that I have actually been like a pretty big Valanciunas guy, but the league is just going away from him so hard. You mm-hmm, know, it's like yeah. you can't keep him on the court against Cleveland. So like even in a best case scenario where Toronto makes the Eastern Conference Finals and like they're all super happy again. He's going to be watching the most important minutes from the sideline, yep. uh, and they're going to be playing a guy like Bebe Noguera yep. <laughs> or you know whoever else they find, uh, just like they played Biombo last year. Yeah. And so if Len, who I would say still has a, you know a pretty decent way to go to get to Valanciunas, if that's as good as he can do, that's like that might not be a solution. That might be a problem. Although Len does, he does have. I mean, he's not like. Super agile, but I think he's more agile than Valanciunas is. But uh, he's he's but yeah, I mean, he might be able to shoot better than Valanciunas, but I haven't checked. But he's not as tough or as like quite as strong as him. But he's certainly getting getting strides. Um, the funny thing I want to admit, I don't know if you heard that saw this, but at one point in a couple of games ago, I think Jared Dudley was playing center. I think I think Tucker was playing center one time too. I was like, oh my goodness. Dudley used to be playing the two guard for him in his first stint here. I couldn't believe he was playing center. That's crazy. I mean, I actually did not see that, but um, I mean, you can make an argument that that like going super small is better than going Lent, you know. And I don't know if it'd be Chris or or how you would do that, <laughs> kind of like longer term. Eventually, it's Bender. Eventually, it's yeah. Bender, who's seven yeah. foot, seven foot one, or whatever, and he has. He definitely has the some defensive instincts and the ability to go out on shooters. Like, he has that Porzingis ability, but he is so raw. I mean, he just turned 19. So we'll see what happens when he's 22. I mean, Len's only 22, 23-ish. So we'll see what happens when they actually get somewhere. Um, I wanted to touch on Warren. I don't know what you've heard of Warren. He just is such a, a – he cuts off – Well, he's like a weight cutter. He can cut off ball, and he's always getting floaters and stuff. But I noticed his positioning on defense is so abysmal. Like I'm like, just get in front of your man and like don't give him open lanes. What have you heard of him? Yeah, I mean to me he's sort of like a one way bucket getter who is has a pretty hard ceiling in terms of his total value. I mean I think he's like on a good team. He is instant offense mm-hmm. uh, in you know a fairly contained role. Uh, that could be a valuable guy. That could be a guy who gets paid. I mean, just ask Jamal Crawford. I mean, different position and different body type. But, like, you know, if you can provide that consistent scoring on a moment's notice, uh, they can find a way to get you into a rotation, and, and you can have a long, prosperous career. Um, 
but I think you know there's a pretty hard cap on on his uh, on his value, like you said, because you know defensively he gives a lot back, and uh, you got to work around him. Uh, you know, kind of almost like what you were saying about Isaiah Thomas earlier. I mean, obviously Isaiah is kind of in a better position for success and probably has a a more complete all around offensive game, but. For now. He's just one of those guys where his his value is going to be very dependent upon his uh, his situation and like I mean I'd be another guy if I'm Phoenix I might be looking to trade really just because there's no he, no small forwards no who needs who needs small forwards it's <laughs> just tough though because so I mean what's his point right like if you're a one way guy on a losing team are you ever going to win if if he's a guy you're counting on yeah um, exactly. and I'm not sure that like. I, I guess the debate is, is Booker going to be a number one guy? I mean, to me... He's number two. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I'm not sure Bledsoe's good enough to be a number one guy either. Yeah, I think he's kind of locked in. You know, he's a top ten point guard. He's incredible. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, not much higher than that. Yeah, you might not have seen much of Bledsoe. He's kind of incredible. I kind of get Marvel at him. He used to not be able to shoot threes unless you walked into it, kind of, like get a little momentum. Now he's able... His And also, I think... His body control on drives maybe only second to LeBron. He he's shorter. He's not the best playmaker, and he's a deep, he's an okay passer. But his body control yeah. is is amazing. Yeah, so I give him top ten point guard. But who are you going to put him over? I mean, I'm taking I'm taking Curry, Westbrook. Uh, if you want to put Harden, Lillard, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Isaiah Thomas, Conley. Kyle Lowry, John Wall. I'm taking all those guys and before. Conley too. And Conley, I'm taking all those guys before Bledsoe. So yeah. even this like peak version of Bledsoe, who's been scoring 40 points lately, and you know, showing flashes of a guy who wasn't there two years ago, showing a little bit better health at 25. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see him passing any of those guys in the total pool. I mean, yeah. maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, so I they guess. have they're definitely limited ceiling wise. Um, well, that's some interesting sun stuff. I want to get to one other topic before we get out of here. Um, it's MVP. Um, before the season, I actually did a, a, a show on, on the MV, all the MVP and all the awards, and I kind of feel proud about it because, well, maybe, maybe it was uh, predictable, but I had Westbrook and then Harden as my top two in that order from before October. Um, so what did, you, what did you think about MVP thing and the general stuff? And then really I want to get to... What makes an MVP? Is it most valuable player, impactful, best player, and best team? What do you think? Um, so, before the season, I had Durant. I think he still had a pretty amazing season. Yep. I just did, like, a column on the midway MVP. I had Harden, one, Westbrook, two. But I think I had Durant sort of as a as a dark horse to watch. Which is um, incredible in itself since so, they're all on the same team. What's that? Which is incredible since they're all on the same team. Oh, yeah, and I call that the Sam Presti talent diaspora, right? I mean, he's yeah. just, like, spreading MVPs all over the league. Uh, I think, to me, winning is incredibly important. And I think a lot about it from a historical perspective of, like, who's the player who we're going to tell this season about? Uh, you know, so in previous years, Curry. usually that's been LeBron until the Warriors came along, and that was clearly Steph. Uh, I try not to get too sucked into uh, angry counter-arguments like LeBron goes to Miami, therefore he's a bad person. KD sold out to go join a super team. I think that stuff is pretty fluffy. Uh, I like to look at all the advanced stats, player efficiency, win shares, real plus minus. I like to look at is a player 
the best offensive player on the best offense or the best defensive player on the best defense. Uh, I tend to reward the best teams heavily when it comes to uh, awards conversations, especially for MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd have a very hard time giving MVP or, or even ranking a guy in the top five if his team wasn't at least you know 48 wins or up. Mm-hmm. And I think to really get it, I don't think Westbrook and the Thunder, I don't think they're going to win enough to, to get my vote mm-hmm. this year. Wow. Um, despite the triple-double and despite the 30-point triple-double and his crazy role on offense, I mean, at some point... Like, there's lots of different ways you can win basketball games, and, and asking one guy to do tons and tons and tons doesn't earn you more credit to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think if, if you're a team like the Warriors, like they theoretically could be one of the uh, – they're not going to probably, but they could be theoretically one of the 370-win teams of all time. I mean, to me, that's a lot harder to do than to just run your entire offense through one guy and have him you know, put up 30-point triple-doubles. So I would reward them sort of – from the team perspective, but I don't think you have to have the best record necessarily to, to win MVP, and I think Harden right now has the best overall case to me in terms of how Houston's won, his role in the winning, uh, his his own statistics, which I think are arguably just as impressive as uh, Westbrook's, mm-hmm. and uh, and then just you know Houston's team offensive efficiency. Uh, and then his crazy high usage, which is right there with Westbrook's too. Mm-hmm. So uh, the tiebreaker between those two guys to me right now is their record. But I still went right off Durant. I mean, if Golden State wins 68 games, Durant's got this crazy high true shooting percentage. He's a vastly improved defensive player on the league's mm-hmm. best defense. Yeah. He's the leading scorer on the league's off- best offense. That's a very compelling case that I would have a hard time arguing against. Um, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah, I don't think uh, Durant gets it because of Steph being there, um, but we'll see about that. Um, I kind yeah, of agree. That's another thing that I, I really don't like either because I feel like that falls into the, uh, you know, let's vote against LeBron in Miami argument. Yeah, really? and okay. I guess I put myself in their positions as players. I'd be doing everything I possibly could to win a title because I know if I'm a top 10 or top 20 player of all time, that's all anyone's going to judge yep, me, right? Yep. Yep. And so why are we holding talent against teams? And I, I've seen people make that argument actually for like Rockets versus Thunder. Well, oh, James has more help, so therefore Westbrook should win the um, MVP award. And it's not like the most valuable guy whose teammates suck. I mean, that's not the award, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that, that so, was something that I was going to bring up because it's like most valuable and most impactful. Like, like if – I don't know. Would I guess the hypothetical would be if there's two teams that are the same number of wins, and one team's player, one player's team sucks, and the other one doesn't suck as bad. That means that that person is probably doing more of being more impactful. But I agree with you that it's, it shouldn't be a detriment. You shouldn't give it to him because of that. It just may be a contributing factor. I guess the wrench I'll throw in is what about Kawhi Leonard? Because I don't. I mean, I guess they're coached so well and they have such. Players understand their role, but I, th- I was watching the game, and it's like it's Kawhi, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean the system is always underrated for San Antonio. I mean the ability that they're able to get the most out of guys and put people into positions for success is just so hard to quantify. Uh, when I looked at the numbers kind of across the board at the midseason point, Durant was just basically better than Kawhi uh, across the board, and then. Defensively, I think Durant has seriously narrowed the gap there with Kawhi, where you used to be able to make the argument Kawhi's 
the best defensive player on the best defensive team, that should be worth equal amounts to Steph Curry being the best offensive mm-hmm. player on the best offensive yeah. team. And I think it's a compelling argument when you go like Kawhi versus Harden because you can make the case Kawhi's as good on defense as Harden is on offense. Yeah. When you have a guy like Durant, who I think is still a better offensive player than Kawhi, and he's not that far behind him defensively. It gets to be a little bit tricky, especially when Golden State's clearly winning more games. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, situationally, you know, some people might want to hold the talent against Durant, uh, but you know, there's eight guys who you could say are incredibly valuable. Like I'd say, you could even make a case for Lowry. You know, you, given his minutes mm-hmm. and workload and mm-hmm. Toronto's success, some people I've seen have tried to make a case for Isaiah Thomas, which I don't believe. That's in, not going to work. <laughs> Uh, but I think he could wind up getting enough media votes just based off his narrative where he finishes in the top five. Wow. I think that would be undeserving, but I could see it. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned LeBron James. He's clearly the best all-around player in the NBA. Still? Uh, Still? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think no, so. No, no question. He was, my no third, question. he was my third player in the preseason for those MVP. Um, I, when I'm predicting and thinking about it, I tend to think of what is going to happen rather than what should happen, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I guess... I just, like, that's why I limit, automatically eliminate Isaiah Thomas and other players, some other players. So I just, I, so that's my take on it. Well, yeah, and I mean, one other thing I always like to ask is, like, what happens if you trade these guys, right? Like, if you just swap them out. And mm-hmm. it's tough when you go across positions. But, like, there's no way that Cleveland would go with a guy like Isaiah Thomas or Kyle Lowry. <laughs> or that basically anyone work. besides, say, Steph, Katie, Kawhi. Uh, or maybe Harden, or you know, to switch out for LeBron. And so that's usually the cutoff that I kind of make. And, you know, I don't think, like, I think if you put Durant in a Westbrook-like environment where he had to do everything, uh, I think his team would be more successful. And we kind of saw that two years ago when Westbrook was out injured, uh, 80s MVP year. uh, He could carry that burden more efficiently than Westbrook has. Uh, Although Westbrook has improved in terms of his decision-making for sure. Yeah. But you could also like say like could Durant put up Harden's numbers maybe not assist wise but like could he put up his scoring wise and carry that usage if he was in a situation like Houston? I think so. Uh, I think so. So that's why I don't get so enamored with the thirty point triple doubles and and all of that because you know Durant's also not playing half the fourth quarters because they're up. Yeah, I, you know. and also triple doubles are somewhat an arbitrary uh, a data point like nine assists is the same thing as ten assists especially with a. Home pre- uh, crowds or home uh, statisticians counting assists and things like that. Um, but the crazy thing for me is Kawhi's offensive uh, rise. I guess it's kind of amazing that he's even in the conversation because it was so broken or not used so long for so many years. Yeah, I, I think that it was been a very carefully handled situation in San Antonio where they just keep giving him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and seeing if he'll ever break. And so far, he hasn't broken, and his uh, efficiency continues to be strong, and his scoring average continues to go up every year. Uh, the real question with, to, to me with Kawhi is, like, what's his ceiling? I mean, he's increased his scoring average every season during his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much higher can he go? I mean, would you be shocked two years from now if he averaged 32, 33 points a game? Yes, uh, because that's not, I don't think that's possible. Or in, this, in today's game, I, don't, I think people break down. I don't know if it's going to ever happen, 32 points a game. If he's shooting 45% on three-pointers and they're actually giving him normal minutes, like they're not suppressing his minute total, 
Mm. I mean, he's so efficient as a scorer. Yeah, it's like, he could put up an insane point total. I mean, I wouldn't be blown away. I, I'm not predicting it. Yeah. But, like, I think there's a better chance that somebody like him is going to average 32 points a game than somebody like DeRozan, who's already at 28. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I would. I don't think DeRozan can get much higher than he already is, unless he learns how to shoot threes better. But uh, I agree. Okay, so we have one I have one more topic I want to discuss because I see, feel like he gets under under discussed. Well, and, but to finish, cap it off, you don't have to, you're preaching to the choir about Durant. He's been my favorite player for a, the whole time I've ever he's ever been in the spotlight. So uh, you definitely I definitely think he is one of the best players in this league. Um, one player that has was my dark horse for MVP that obviously is not anywhere near there right now, and I think is an interesting um, player and to, person to talk about is Paul George. Um, what do you think about him to start out with? And I just want to discuss his uh, situation and his ceiling and things like that. Uh, I I love his all-around game. I was there when he fractured his leg. Oh. It was horrible. Yeah. Uh, I love his will to come back, to want to go back to USA Basketball, to rebuild himself from, from the ground up. Mm-hmm. I think he is, like, Pete Paul George is, to me, a more valuable guy than, like, Pete Carmelo Anthony ever yes. was. Uh, because... He's so much better on defense, and he's not that much worse on offense. Yeah. But I also think he's that kind of like a Carmelo-like fork in the road. He's either going to need to figure out how to take better shots, you know, to not fall in love with the tough twos, to get to the free throw line more often, to to streamline his efficiency as an offensive player, or he's going to sort of hit the ceiling where he's going to find himself just kind of permanently frustrated with his lot in NBA life, and it's happened fast. Like, I think the last three years, uh, with the rise of Curry, all these point guards, whether it's Lillard, Thomas, Harden, turning into these ultra-efficient weapons that can guide these crazy offenses, um, that if you want to be playing for an elite offense or being the main guy on the elite offense, there's just not a lot of time for these tough twos. And, you know, it's, it's something that John Walls had an issue with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bradley Beals tried to get away from. Uh, and Paul George, to me, he just kind of takes the easy way out on offense mm-hmm. too often to be a, a true threat. Yeah. And I don't know if he's going to get it. You know, I think he's he seems to me like he's kind of a guy who's set in his ways a little bit. You know, he complains about his, his treatment from the officials a lot, but you yeah. compare him to, say, Jimmy Butler or Harden, in terms of how they use their body to draw contact, how often they drive towards the hoop, uh, you know, how, just sort of the pressure that they put on the officials to, to call fouls for them. Uh, yeah. And to me, it's not quite night and day, but there's a clear difference there. So um, I'm a big Paul George fan. I think he's got MVP potential, you know, you know sometime during his prime. Uh, but that Pacers team has been really hard to kind of – get a gauge on what they're doing. Uh-huh. I've been surprised by their recent success. I don't totally know how to explain it. Miles Turner um, probably. probably. <laughs> what's that? Miles Turner probably is the answer to that question. Um, yeah. He's so good. But I think that Paul George needs like another star next to him to really be able to thrive and, and try to, like, I'm trying to think of just like some veteran like LeBron or Wade, not even, not necessarily those people, but somebody that's a veteran who's won at the levels to really help him do what you're saying, get the discipline. He's so talented. I think he's, to me, he's basically the, the prototypical, if you're building an NBA player, that's what you want right there. It's defense, shooting, the build, but he just has to use a little bit better. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think you're right. He needs help. Um, I'm not. Uh, Indiana seems like they've been trying everything to give him that help. Yeah. And you know, I I just worry that with their ability to really get talent, even if Turner turns into this big time player, um, are they ever going to get back to where they were Eastern Conference Finals wise? You know, and I'm not sure. And so I think that kind of makes him an interesting guy to watch, not only for trade rumors, but just kind of in free agency. I mean, clearly there's going to be a huge financial incentive for him to stay there. Yeah. Uh, but he also seems like one of the most under-discussed stars in the league. I mean, how often are they playing on national TV? Fork in the road, for sure. Fork in the road, for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at with them. I like yeah. him. I don't think it's crazy to put him in the MVP conversation, but I don't think he's been that good this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I to mean, me, he was like kind of a borderline almost snub on the All-Star team. Uh, and I think if he had been in the West, like I, I wouldn't have had him. Uh, I think I had him as one of my last picks in the East. Yeah. And he's probably picked it up a little bit since we had to make those calls. But, I mean, he should be – he has the talent to be a no-brainer starter every year. Oh, yeah. He just has to put it together and be a little more discerning with his with his shots and everything. I, I mean, I had a, a dark horse in the preseason, but it's obviously not going now. Now, I would, like, as a – Longtime Phoenix person living here for my whole life, he would be a great addition to the Suns if you trade Warren and trade Tucker. Obviously, it's never going to happen, but it's still something to wish for. Um, well, why don't you plug uh, plug some 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 of the stuff you got going on, and we'll uh, get out of here. Uh, you know, follow me on Twitter at Ben Golver, B E N G O L L I V E R, SportsIllustrated dot com. I guess it's SI dot com slash NBA, and then we've got the Open Floor Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, thanks. Uh, this was a great discussion. I thought it was very interesting, very insightful. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming on. Everybody uh, follow the Solar Insights podcast. We got on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Google Play. Um, follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Sar. That's Sar, S-A-A-R. And uh, definitely go follow Ben. And um, have a good night, everybody. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming on. Mm-hmm.